Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I am so happy to finally meet up with Emily Elizabeth Anderson. She runs the Thriving Forward Facebook page, which is primarily, I think, we're going to talk about this, concerned with all things Bill Gothard and the Institute in Basic Life Principles. Would that be a fair assessment, Emily? I do talk about Bill for sure on there, but then I also just talk about church abuse in general, trauma recovery, domestic violence, and a bit about chronic illness as well, because that's also part of my story. We connected, actually, it wasn't even that long ago, over the issue of the Josh Duggar story, which just broke as we're doing this recording a few days ago, and I know we're going to get into that. He's recently been arrested for possession of child pornography. Is it in Arkansas, was it, where he was arrested? Correct, yes. Right. So that's that's something we have to get into because what we've discovered is that we both have some commonality in that we were both raised within the Bill Gothard. I was raised back when it was the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. Now it's called the Institute in Basic Life Principles. So what can you tell us? Maybe could you give the listeners a slight overview, a history of where did this movement come from? What's the story of Bill Gothard? Absolutely. So back in the 60s, after attending Wheaton College, Bill Gothard created a ministry organization called the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. Uh, A few years went by, he would do a lot of seminars, um, kind of like Billy Graham style, where he's going to cities, traveling all around, hosting these huge seminars with his projector. He would get to the point he was packing out stadiums before or Mm -hmm. at at some point. And uh, so eventually he changed the name to IBLP or the Institute in Basic Life Principles. Their tagline was a new approach to life. And uh, once, right, that's like red flag number one. You have to say, I was going to say, Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts, that's not a very catchy name anyway, is it? If you read that title, it doesn't really explain what it is, I suppose. Right. And I, he may have picked that name because he's always said he's had a focus primarily for youth. He's had, as he'll call it, a heart for the youth. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, and we'll go into like some of the teachings, but that's kind of where he wanted to, that's why he started his whole ministry was he Mm -hmm. uh, saw all the gangs in Chicago and um, thought that like, there must be a reason why some of these kids are getting into trouble. And he came up with a list of rules as to what causes rebellion, as he would call Mm -hmm. it, and uh, created these seminars off that and promising parents that if they followed all of these rules, then their children would turn out to be perfect little angels and the epitome of good citizens. Oh, man. <laughs> I could just hear the sarcasm dripping from your voice. Because <laughs> that is you, so, when, when you're in the field yeah. of work that I am, where you're dealing with trauma recovery and, and hearing these stories every day of the most horrific situations, like the best way you cope is through sarcasm and mm-hmm. snark and sometimes <laughs> right. pretty dark humor. You've got to do it. Well, and the thing is what you just described is so, um, it's so poignant because that I think exactly encapsulates my parents, why they even got into at the time IBYC because, and I think this may explain why so many Christian parents got involved in it back in, like you say, in the, I guess really the 70s and 80s is when it took off because yes, the, and you think about what's happening culturally, you know, right yeah, within the hippie movement. Yeah, and that society's breaking is, down. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, and oh my gosh, there's drug use now, and you know, yeah. people are having sex with anybody, and Jonathan, kids are out of control. And, yeah, and so Bill's, yeah, Bill's like, you know, we need to reform, and we bring, he he saw the 50s as the golden age. We need mm-hmm. to bring back the golden age of the 50s with the housewife and her pearls and mm-hmm. heels while she's vacuuming, and the husband that goes yeah. off to work every day. Leave it to suit. Beaver thing. Leave it to Beaver family. That yes, that was the ideal. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I think you're right. My parents probably I've never actually asked them this, but my dad's dead now, but. 
why did you get involved in that? Because our church was located in the Seattle, Washington area where I grew up, which was a very fundamentalist sort of Church of Christ model. And a lot of the families in that church, I'm not sure who introduced IBYC to that church, but at some point somebody did and said, hey, this is something that's really good. You should check this out. And for a long time, a bunch of families went to the seminars, That, which is when I started going when I was, I think, 13. You had to be a certain age and you, to, to be able to attend the, your first seminar. And all my older sisters went and I was so excited when I was looking forward to going to my first seminar at the Seattle Center and it was packed, as you say, there was probably six, 7,000 people rammed into that place. Yeah, yeah. It, it got pretty big at one point. Um, once the 80s hit, then Bill decided to focus on homeschooling and how homeschooling was the only godly way to educate your children. Mm-hmm. Again, because we want to keep children out of worldly influence, keep everything within the home, within the church. So he created an organization called ATIA, or the Advanced Training Institute of America. A few years later, he left off the last word, and it was just ATI, Advanced Training Institute. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you'll commonly hear me say throughout uh, our time together is just calling it ATI, and that just means the the homeschooling segment of Bill's Mm -hmm. organization. I used to call it a ministry. It's not really ministry. It's a cult. <laughs> we can talk about what it makes there. it a cult. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But um, ATI created uh, homeschooling materials. So we had this, our main homeschooling material was called the wisdom booklet. Um, and this was not just mm-hmm. like a Bible study, but instead it was supposed to be your entire homeschool education. So the wisdom booklets were divided into kind of English, I guess you could say kind of an English segment. We studied Greek, history, law, science, math, uh, and then a medical resource. And I mean, I, I, it's very hard to describe what a wisdom booklet is to the outside world. This is not like really learning any real facts that you would find in any real school textbook. Mm -hmm. These are just random, random tidbits. So I remember the very first medical resource was all about the eye and we learned about the eyeball and it was just like pulling verses from the Bible and using analogies between like how our vision or how our eyes like take in sight and how it reflects the light and whatever. And like comparing that to like spiritual analogies within your life. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea why this was supposed to be considered a full education, but some families did strictly just use the wisdom booklets and the wisdom booklets were for all ages. There were 52 wisdom booklets. There was one Bible verse per wisdom booklet and there was one character quality per wisdom mm-hmm. booklet. Uh, the wisdom booklets went through the entire sermon on the Mount. And so like, for instance, wisdom booklet one was just part of a verse. It was the very first part of the sermon on the Mount, which is, and seeing the multitudes. That's okay. it. Okay. That was it. <laughs> that's it. That Alrighty. was the verse. And so that's why the medical resource was on site. Because ah. we're talking about sights, seeing the multitude. Saw the crowd. Ah. Right, exactly. And eyes. then, right. And then, oh gosh, I can't remember the character quality that was tied to that. But we'd have character qualities like initiative or punctuality or um, gentleness or meekness mm-hmm. or whatnot. And then there was also songs that would be attached to these character qualities. And so anyway, um, thankfully, some families, uh, including my own, we only used the wisdom booklets as Bible study time. Um, we studied them for an hour a day. And then I had a full extensive homeschool education, thankfully, because my mother, prior to having children and getting married, she was a uh, high school teacher herself. So she knew how to give me a proper education. Thank goodness. But most other families did not have that. A lot of ATI kids just did wisdom booklets. And as I was saying, there there are 52 wisdom booklets. And so what you do is you'd study one per month. And all um, year round. All year round, one per month. Yeah. And once you hit the end of, like, you hit the last one, 52, you'd start over with Wisdom Booklet 1 again. You just keep doing that until, you know, a child had passed through all 12 grades. And these families are all studying together. They're studying, like, sitting on the couches in the living room and taking turns reading passages out of these booklets. And so you've got high schoolers learning 
the same things that the five-year-olds are learning. And it's supposed to just be like so enriching and valuable that it just surpasses, Mm -hmm. you know, needs of divided uh, grades. (laughs) Right. Amazing. Well, I do remember something you said talking about character, because I know Gothard was big on the issue of what he called like biblical character, godly character. I can remember that, that you had to go through and there was all these character traits that he had pulled out of the Bible from different places, as you say, meekness and gentleness and faith and whatever. There there was something on each one of those. There were these whole books called character sketches. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Like golden animals and everything. Right. With all the animals there were like $50 for each book. And there was a whole huge set of them, like a set of encyclopedias. And yeah, there was, there were these books on character quality and they would again, tie in verses and then tie in animals. So I remember like specifically the horse was supposed to be tied in with meekness and so we learned about how a horse is going to submit to a bit and bridle and so therefore we need to be meek and we need to submit to the authority in our life that kind of analogy Mm -hmm. that was our whole life was just analogies and the thing was you know those character book whoever was the artist was amazing i mean i remember as a kid i was i loved art yeah i loved to draw as a kid and I was really into art. And I remember really wanting to look at those books primarily because of the beautiful illustrations of these animals, yeah. eagles and, you know, lions and bears and tigers and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember, here's a funny story from when I was about in seventh grade at this little Christian school, we had an art contest among the whole school. And I, I didn't copy the drawings, but I basically redrew them myself. I didn't trace them and, you know, color in. I took a bunch of the animal drawings from the character books and I I did a series of drawings of the various animals. And I was, they said, you have the best drawings, the the whole school, you're going to win. But on the final day, when it came to the point of awarding the prize, one of the teachers said, hey, those are basically from Gothard's book mm-hmm. and they're, they're not original art to you. <laughs> so I was disqualified. disqualified? I was disqualified. Oh, no. I'm scarred for life, Emily. I, mean, I, <laughs> I lost the art contest and I blame Bill Gothard for it. Shocking <laughs> oh, he story. would say that, that that was the end. You know, that, that was the beginning of your demise because you suddenly so. became bitter for the rest of your life. <laughs> I was bitter, yeah. So that's my funny, funny, the only funny Gothard story that I've got. Because what, what messed me up, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, was that, okay, unlike you, I wasn't raised in the ATI homeschooling context. We went to a little Christian school, but my parents tried to raise all of us kids by following his principles. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother mess because you get into what he called this umbrella mm-hmm. theology, where you have these successive larger and smaller umbrellas, the umbrellas of authority. And my parents tried to run their household and marriage, according to his principles, it was a dismal failure. I don't know if that, yeah. that must ring some bells for you, that umbrellas of authority model. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, that was his signature teaching and what he built pretty much mm-hmm everything on was the umbrella it had a few names over the years uh, umbrella of authority umbrella protection um but basically it just means that authority is everything um Mm -hmm. so and submitting to authority yeah submitting to authority so you were guaranteed protection from anything bad happening to you as long as you stayed within your god-ordained authority so that would mean you know, a, a woman is supposed to be submissive to her husband. And so she's told that as long as she remains submissive to him, then nothing bad is going to happen in her life. But if she gets out of that submission, then God is going to allow bad things to happen. Mm-hmm. And usually the things we were told were like quite severe. Like, you know, if the home fell, if, if, if something happened with the finances and they lost their home due to bankruptcy, I mean, that could be tied to an authority issue, somebody getting out of an authority or, Oh my goodness. I remember um, this one horrible story of this teenager who was killed in this tragic car accident. And the father was going through her 
belongings in her room after the car accident and he came across a rock music cd and rock music was completely forbidden but the fact that she had this rock music cd when she shouldn't meant she was out from under authority of her father Mm -hmm. so her father wrote a letter to bill gothard explaining this and saying i believe god killed my daughter because she was out of authority and he was happy about it he said i'm thankful because you know it would have been better for her to die than continue to live out of authority. In this, and we would even have parents, there, some parents would, when they were expecting a child, they would pray over this, this pregnancy and say, God, if this child is going to rebel against you one day, please cause a miscarriage because it would be better that this child never entered the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I can there's some really that. dark, yeah, dark really stuff. stuff. Yeah, when it just sounds like, oh, well, okay, all Christianity teaches, you know, women submitting under men. But it's like, no, it gets a lot, a lot deeper when you're mm. getting into something like a cult. It really does. And I remember as a kid, when I was probably nine or 10, maybe 11, we've done a podcast on this. My sister, Valerie, she actually got pregnant when she was about 17. And this was all about rebellion and everything else, as they would say, because there's a verse that he would quote. He would say that it's somewhere in the Old Testament. Rebellion is just like the sin of witchcraft. Right. So if you're rebelling, you're essentially rebelling against God, your authority figures. So my sister gets pregnant and I can remember my mother sat me down as a young kid and explained exactly kind of the same paradigm that you just laid out. She said, the reason your sister is being is pregnant and she's had, she, they had to kick her out of the house. They put her into foster care. It was shocking how they treated her. My dad was, you know, an elder of the church and he resigned in a big public thing and he, he blamed it all on my sister. Well, she said, it's because she removed herself from the umbrella of our authority. And now she's open to the attacks of Satan, which is mm-hmm. what Gothard taught. And essentially, we can't protect her anymore. And God is, mm-hmm. is allowing this all to happen. So mm-hmm. she's she's made her own bed. Now she's got to lie in it. Yeah. And that was how they explained. And I'm a nine, ten year old kid. Yeah. Okay. That's I guess that's how things work. What a, like a cause and effect sort of. You've got to mm-hmm. find the cause and effect to everything, whether Absolutely. it's a CD, you know, right. ACDC Every- under your bed or something. <laughs> right? Everything was black and white. There was always everything was either godly or it was a sin, mm-hmm. and um, everything um, had consequences too. Everything was a cause and effect. You know, I, I hinted that chronic illness is part of my story and it is because my father was a very, very, very abusive man. And, uh, my body could not handle the stress anymore. And I developed Crohn's disease when I was 11 years old as a result. And I was always, at least within ATI circles, I was blamed for that because it meant that I was sinning in some way and that was causing this Crohn's. And if I just repented, yeah. And if I just repented of this sin, then I would be cured instantly. And I was told that for years. But you've got to rack your brain to figure out what have I done Right, right. And usually because people knew that I had a strained relationship with my father, he's still living in the home. They said that I just must be bitter. And I'm like, I'm 12 years old. Like, and, and he's abusive. I mean, yes, he's emotionally abusive and he was sexually abusive. Mm. I'm 12 and I'm being told, well, it's your fault because you must be bitter at him for the way he mistreats you. Mm. And we it's know, crazy. speaking of that, you, you posted a thing on your Facebook page the other day, which I've copied and tweeted and looked, I put it in our Facebook group about Gothard's teachings on essentially why God allowed Mm. a four-year-old boy to be molested by his 15-year-old neighbor. And in there, his explanation for why God has allowed this is, I mean, it's beyond toxic. It's, I read it and and it's just evil. I mean, how does it work? This, the blame, so much of the blame gets laid onto the victim in cases in the Gothard system. You know, the kid didn't cry out for help. So some of that falls on him or the little girl as a four-year-old. Right. How does that work? Right, exactly. Um, Yeah, it relates to uh, Gothard's teachings on modesty culture, because I know, too, I've studied this a lot, read a lot of the IBLP literature, which is right now you can go to their website, and and Gothard's teachings are still there. I mean, yes, he's been, quote, unquote, disavowed, and he's been booted out of the organization, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute where he's at now, where there's a bunch of lawsuits and things that were going on, but it's unbelievable. Women have to submit to their husbands. Women have to be, they have to dress modestly. If they get assaulted, 
it's probably because they were dressed provocatively or something. Mm -hmm. It's almost like men have this, the caricature of men in the Gothard system, they have this raging libido, this lust that mm. they can't control. And if mm -hmm. you dress provocatively and someone's attacked by a, by a man, it's probably their fault. It's a yeah. sick system. Yeah, it is. It's always the victim's fault. Um, and even if they were dressed according to what Gothard thought was modest. And I mean, like, you could be accused of being provocative for showing your collarbone. I mean, you know, it yeah, doesn't Where's the much. line that, yeah. Right, right. But even if apparently you were dressed in, you know, what was considered Gothard approved clothing, um, the other thing was calling out. And we were told, it was a, there was a whole book on it called The Power of Crying Out. And According to him, if you were ever in great peril or danger, that if you cried out correctly, God would always divinely intervene. And he would give stories of women that were being kidnapped and, you know, they were being like dragged away by a kidnapper and they cry out to God for help. And just randomly the kidnapper drops them and runs off. And so this is like proof, like whatever is going to happen, if, if anything dangerous happens to you, you can just cry out to God and instantly your attacker will just leave. And the thing was, you had to cry out correctly. So if a woman was in the same situation, she was crying out and her kidnapper just continued to you know, go along with his plan, didn't drop her, then she would be blamed that she didn't cry out correctly. Somehow, again, it comes back to the victim blaming, doesn't it? You didn't do something according to the formula, whatever it was. And I know there's another aspect to this too, the issue of, okay, in, in a marriage, for example, I've read on, on his website where he talks about women have to submit to their husband. They're under that umbrella of authority. But if, they, if they're told to do something, let's say, immoral that goes against the Bible or their conscience by their husband, all they can do is make an appeal, which to me sounds yes. kind of similar to this crying out thing where you can make an appeal to your husband, but if he turns that down, says no, he's, he's supposed to go to God and pray about it. When he comes, turns around and says, no, I reject your appeal. What? Right. What happens to the woman then? Does she have to go along with her husband's desire? Pretty much, know? yeah. Yes, yeah. or else she's considered to be out of submission. And this is not just within Gothard. One of the best-selling Christian marriage books of all time, Love and Respect, teaches this too, where mm -hmm. they say that if and he's lining out as, as examples, he's giving like really abusive behavior here, the author, um, and saying that, you know, if you're a woman and you're experiencing some of this, in order to make sure that you are staying in submission, you may make appeals to your husband, which means approaching him in a kind, soft voice with a two to three sentence appeal once every I believe it's 15 to 20 days. Like there's this exact okay. formula. Here's a timeline. Yes, exactly. And it can only be two to three sentences. And then you're supposed to say it sweetly and walk away. And that's all you can do, you know? And I mean, even if it's not abusive behavior, I mean, this is stuff that my husband and I are learning now. This is just part of cohabitating with another human being. Sometimes mm -hmm. you do stuff that's rude and inconsiderate to your partner and you don't even realize it. And, you know, you need to have that safety and security to go to your partner anytime and say, hey, could you not do this anymore? Because this really hurts me. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. sure. I didn't realize I was hurting you. End of story. Like, there's none of that healthy begging. adult <laughs> to adult relationship here. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's this begging. It is this very unequal relationship between husband and wife. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, very unhealthy. Yeah. Well, and in the case of my parents, what didn't work was that my mother was actually far more of a strong personality. And my dad was a very passive guy. And yet, and that sort of worked for them until they got into the Gothard system. Mm -hmm. Then the roles were reversed. She tried to knuckle under and be that submissive, submissive wife. Mm -hmm. And he tried to be that spiritual leader and all the rest of it. And it was a dismal failure. And then yes. there was a lot of anger on her part, which I think she took out on us kids. So that was a very dysfunctional system. We got spanked all the time and for any sort of little infraction. And it was a crazy, really dysfunctional home. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that the Gothard teachings, specifically in terms of their marriage, you know, let it bled down onto the kids. And we were abused in a sense because mm -hmm. of all that just toxicity, really. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned harsh punishments. That was very common as well. Um, Thankfully, I didn't experience that within my own home, but corporal punishment was absolutely taught as a standard within ATI. And like, I mean, I have heard horror stories of, you know, children that were beaten close to death because they weren't giving the right answers on their math quiz, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just, they're taught that there's, there's no allowance for normal childhood development and behavior they expect high they have higher expectations of children than they do adults like adults we have like bad days or we have a bad Mm -hmm. attitude or whatnot but children aren't allowed that they're supposed to be these perfect little robots and if they don't conform to that a lot of these kids were beaten very severely and you were told you're supposed to beat the will out of your child and that any kind even if you've got a five-year-old who's just crying because she's needs she missed her nap you know and she's hungry and there's no allowance for that it's you're being rebellious as a five-year-old and you need to have your will beaten out of you i mean Mm -hmm. it's horrific some of the stories i've heard it's all in the name uh, of god yep and that's the piece that you really that really messed me up was that i can remember again my mom sitting me down and explaining the whole system to me you know as a five six-year-old kid she said, you know, this is what God is telling us that we have to do as your parents. Because we love you, mm-hmm. we are supposed to spank you. And the idea is, as you say, break your will, break your proclivity to sin. And we will know that we've achieved that when you start to cry. You know, mm-hmm. you, you spank the child till they cry. And that's some sort of a marker where you go, okay, I have now broken his or her, you know, will. I've probably beaten the sin out of them. And I can remember that, you know, so you think, okay, do I, how many swats does it take before I start to cry? And I don't want to go too soon. I don't want to wait too long. Right. Yeah. We got spanked. Besides like when you've, yeah, when you've got a child that's being abused in that way for so long, I mean, a a normal reaction, they have fight, flight, fawn or Mm -hmm. freeze. And a lot of kids would go into fawn mode and they would just shut down and become numb. And it's like, you just keep beating a child expecting tears. And sometimes the tears just don't come because they are so numb from the abuse. Literally, physically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I can remember that sometimes, like I say, we were spanked two, three, four times a day. We didn't even know what we were being spanked for, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was just this, and it was years of this. And now looking back on it as a parent now, I've got two daughters and we think, okay, my wife and I've talked about this a lot, you know. It's not working. As parents, you've got to evaluate your own whatever disciplinary strategies you're trying to implement, don't you? I mean, you have to say, hmm, is this working? Because we're spanking our kids two, three, four, five times a day, and they're still being naughty. They're still acting out. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was because we were we were being spanked and beaten so much that the only attention we could get was when we were naughty, so you're acting out. <laughs> but it wasn't working. And they never, but they never abandon it. It's like, nope, we're going to keep, we are not going to give in. We're going to beat you literally until we can beat this will, drive this thing out of you. Right. Crazy. Yeah. So it's it's abusive. It is. And then, like I say, you add the God piece because I'm being told as a five, six, seven year old kid, not only do we do this because we love you, it's physically painful and emotionally painful, but it's because God says that we are supposed to do it because we love you. I mean, right. as a kid, you can't, as a, as a six-year-old, you can't process what that means. Right. You get a right. very distorted view of God, I think, for sure. Right, right. <laughs> I had a conversation with a, a fellow advocate the other day, and I'm like, you know, I don't think when, when God wrote the third commandment of not taking his name in vain, I don't think he was talking about not using his name when you stub your toe. I mean, he was talking about, don't say I follow Jesus and then be abusive to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty pretty simple. (laughs) When we come back from the break with this conversation with Emily Elizabeth Anderson, we are going to get into her very personal story of how she met with Bill Gothard and suffered 
pretty traumatic abuse at his hand like so many other women did. I don't want to give too much away, but that's an unbelievable story of survival and strength. So look forward to that when we get back into the chat with Emily. I just wanted to mention what's coming up here in the next few weeks. I've got some fantastic episodes I've already recorded. I had a good conversation the other day with Maya Ram, and she comes out of an unbelievable background, very abusive home. Her mother forced her and her brother into the Seventh-day Adventist church slash cult, and that's just an amazing story, again, of survival, getting out of a cult. In fact, speaking of getting out of a cult, we're going to be having our MindShift Zoom call coming up here on the 23rd with Jarette and Lisa from the igotout.org website. I am so looking forward to meeting up with those two wonderful women again, both of whom were survivors of a sort of a new age cult, different groups, but very similar stories to mine, even though I come out of evangelicalism. So we've got that call coming up on the 23rd as I said, with Jarette and Lisa. In fact, we're going to have some amazing stuff. We've got Emily coming back in next month. She's going to be our guest on our MindShift Zoom calls. And in fact, speaking of which, I'm, I'm working with Conway and Siegelman right now. They're actually working on a sequel to Holy Terror. They're updating it following the four years of Trump era and watching all the evangelical support for him. So probably around maybe July, hopefully they'll be done. They're really busy right now updating this book. So they're going to be our guests coming up, maybe like I say, July, maybe even as far down as August. But these calls are absolutely amazing. You get a chance to meet these wonderful, amazing people, interact with them, talk with them. How can you get on these calls as well as our patrons only calls that we do once a month? Well, exactly that. Support this show on Patreon and you will have access to not only our Closed Mindshift podcast Facebook group, which is a wonderful supportive community that's growing all the time, but you'll also have access to the episodes early. You'll be able to get on our patrons only call, our mind shift zoom calls we do once sometimes twice a month and these are just wonderful benefits for helping support the show on patreon and as always the links to that page are in the show notes so take a look at that i'm just going to say really quickly i've got so many people queued up to interview in the next couple of weeks i've got rachel bernstein from the indoctrination podcast we've got a chat scheduled i've got a couple other people a guy contacted me the other day asking about the world revival church out of kansas city and he's a survivor of that weird bizarre cult. So we're going to be talking to him. That's Daniel Phelps. I've got some other stuff in the pipeline. I've got so many interviews queued up. I can't even remember who all I've got. Oh yeah, I've got Aubrey Fowler. She wrote a fantastic article the other day that gained a lot of traction on Twitter about Dr. James Dobson and his connection with eugenics. So I want to talk to her about that. I've, I've been meaning to do an episode on James Dobson forever and his connection to the Christian right. So this is a perfect lead-in to go into James Dobson. So there's some really cool stuff coming up. And in fact, tonight, as I'm recording this message, I've got the Court 2021 panel with the Naked Pastor, David Hayward, and Tim Sledge of Goodbye Jesus. We're going to chat tonight on a panel about being ex-clergy, talking about religious trauma syndrome on the last night of Court 2021. And in fact, if you've missed that conference, which was the 11th through the 16th of May, don't worry about it. You can go on their website. You can still purchase all of the episodes because all the calls were on Zoom. They've all been recorded. You can get access to all those sessions, even though you may have missed the sessions live. So there's still a way to catch it if you miss those sessions, as well as the one with Tim and David and I, which is going to be tonight as I'm recording this right now. So really cool stuff coming up. Now, getting back to this issue of religious trauma syndrome, let's finish our conversation with Emily Elizabeth Anderson as we talk about her encounters with Bill Gothard. We're also going to get into Josh Duggar, and we're going to break it down. We're going to look at the IBLP in terms of cult psychology. We're going to assess it according to Stephen Hassan's bite model and see if it fits the markers of a cult. So let's get back to that conversation. So what happens then? You, we got to get back to your story now. We've been talking about our, our kind of shared background, but you have some more in, intimate details about actually being involved with Gothard himself. Yes. A part of the ATI, I know people would go, I think it was maybe Chicago and some of the other centers to be sort of further trained as part of the ATI. Is that how Correct. you got involved in terms of meeting Gothard personally? 
Uh, yes. So ATI had homes or they, yeah, they had homeschooling conferences every year. It would be four five, six of them spread throughout the United States. And, um, there'd be several thousand people at each conference and it was just a week of instruction and training and they'd have student sessions and parent sessions, et cetera. And, uh, we went to, no, I, I didn't, my family didn't join ATI till I was like 12 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gone to a private Christian school prior to that, but I went to my first conference when I was 13 and Bill spotted me and he was in his, uh, mid seventies at that point. And he had spotted me and lavished me with affection and attention and compliments and saying how he had never met anyone like me before. And God had put a special love in his heart for me. And I was so beautiful and had this bright shining countenance and spirit and just, I mean, just lavishing Mm -hmm. everything he could on me. I I realize now that's grooming, that's sexual grooming. But exactly. you know, as the beginning as a, stages, right? And as a thirteen-year-old, to me, it was just like, oh my goodness, this man yeah. that I admire more than anybody else on the planet thinks I'm special. Because mm-hmm. Bill, he, his nickname was the Modern Day Apostle Paul, so he was seen as just set apart. Pretty much like, I mean, we knew he, everyone would say, well, Bill's a sinner, but nobody actually thought that Bill sinned. You know, Mm, he was just considered, yeah, he was that good. He was just the most utmost moral, sinless person on the planet who had these divine revelations from God. So if, if Bill Gothard had eyes on your teenager, it's the highest honor given Mm -hmm. in ATI and parents would lap it up as quick as they could. Thankfully, my mother was an oddity and she had protective nature over me in a good way. And Mm -hmm. he wanted me to quit school and move up to headquarters in Chicago and work with him personally. And my mom's like, "Uh, no, I'm not sending my 13 year old to headquarters Mm. to live alone with you. And we're like, you know, living in in the dorm rooms up there, but still, you know, being personally mentored by you and stuff because cell phones aren't allowed at headquarters. So students that are there don't have any contact with the outside world. They will have like once a week, maybe they'll allow like a 20 minute phone call home, but those are supervised by the Mm. leadership. And so you're told to only give good compliments about good reports. Yeah. Good reports. Big brothers listening. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You couldn't make any complaints known. If you had a complaint, you had to take it to God, et cetera. So anyway, praise, uh, praise God. My mother did not send me there, um, alone. Uh, Gothard continued to groom me for the next six years at every single conference. And eventually when I was 18, I went up there for two weeks and my mother came with me and I was to go up there just to receive some counseling because I was still at home with my abusive father. And so he was going to counsel me, counsel my mother, do phone calls, counsel my dad, all of that. And um, it just turned out to be just an absolute battle once we got up there. My mom and I arrived at headquarters and walked into Bill's huge conference room with his big, with his big table that all the ATI leaders sat at. And, uh, He stood up and he said, "Um, Emily, I have waited six years for this day. You are finally here. And Mm. it was so creepy. And he immediately sat us down and he began to explain that I needed to leave home immediately. My mom needed to go back home to be with my dad and I needed to be left at headquarters by myself. And he went against his own teachings. And he said, your father has lost authority over you and I'm your new authority. And, um, you know, you need to say goodbye to your old family. Headquarters is your new family. And he tried to use Bible verses to justify that. And thankfully all the red flags were going off for my mom and I, we could spot Mm. it very clearly. We're like, this is not what he teaches. (laughs) This does not sound okay. Um, Definitely not right here. Right, right. So we battled with him very intensely for 10 days um, where he just tried everything he could to think of a way to get my mom to leave me there by myself. And my mom wasn't having it. 
And Bill at one point got angry and looked at her with gritted teeth and said, you were the most stubborn woman I have ever met. It's like, yay, go mom. That's a compliment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Of course, you didn't exactly. see it that way at the time. Right, right. But yeah, anyway, um, we eventually said, you know, look, if you're not going to help us, then we're, we're going to go home. And it'd be better to go home without help than to do some of the things that he was suggesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I knew if I had stayed at headquarters, first of all, I would not have contact with my mother. I'm also dealing with Crohn's disease, a life-threatening autoimmune disease where I was living in and out of hospitals at times. Mm. And he thought the medication I was on was a bad thing because ATI or uh, medication in ATI is, you know, not trusting God. Mm -hmm. So I knew if I had been dropped off there, I would have no access to my medication, no access to medical cares or doctors, no access to my full-time caretaker, which was my mother. And it's like, it's no, this is not an option. I can't stay here. And he was unwilling to do anything to help our family unless I stayed. So we left. And um, six months later, I came across a website completely by accident. I was not searching for it, but came across a website called Mm recoveringgrace.org. And um, it had only been started a few months before. And it was by a group of uh, adults that had grown up in the ATI system and they started telling their own stories they started saying hey this is a cult this is dangerous this is not what the bible teaches Mm -hmm. um started sharing horror stories of you know child abuse that was happening and then on the front page there was an article by a woman under a pseudonym and she said that she had been sexually harassed by bill during her time up at headquarters and i read her article and i just got chills because her description of Bill's behavior toward her matched Bill's mm-hmm. behavior toward me exactly mm-hmm. down to, to the little down to the little pet names and this had happened 20 years prior mm-hmm. I mean so yeah it just instantly I was taken aback I didn't know what to think because I couldn't imagine Bill doing anything immoral or sinister or anything like that. Um, Approached my mother with the article and she's like, oh, Emily, that just, this woman has no idea. She misinterpreted his actions. Mm. He was just being grandfatherly and affectionate. He's like, he would never, ever do anything inappropriate with a young lady. So I took that explanation for a while, but I did hop on the comment section and wrote a few comments about how I had just been at headquarters recently and some of the things I experienced. And Bill called me. He called our home three days later and lit into me over the phone for an hour, told me that my story was a lie and it was malicious and my intent was to destroy the ministry and that my lie was causing problems within the ministry that were getting worse by the hour. And if I did not come out and admit that I lied or retracted my statement immediately, then the entire ministry would crumble in a matter of weeks and everybody would lose their jobs that worked there and it would all be my fault. Wow. No manipulation at all. So (laughs) let me get this straight. He was reading the Recovering Grace website, trolling, essentially stalking, the comments. Yes. Yes. And, and he spotted because I used my real name and the story was so right. recent and I include yeah. so many details in it. It, it was very easy. Yeah. He knew, he knew it was me and he still right. had my contact information. Yeah. And it was very ugly. Um, I totally took his bait of shame mm. and just was bawling on the ground and uh, had the phone on speakerphone. And I was begging for his mercy and forgiveness. And I said, I never meant for any of this to happen. I didn't lie. Everything I said in my post was truthful, but I, I, I love ATI. I love the ministry. I would never want to do anything to hurt it. I had no idea. I didn't know what this website was. I just apologized my heart out. And suddenly he went from like being on this rampage of, of shame and blame to suddenly he switched and he started sweet talking me again and saying, Oh, 
dear, sweet Emily, I love you and I can't bear to see you cry. It is okay. Everything's going to be fine. I will forgive you as long as you remove my com- your comments. Got to delete your post. So yeah. he literally just like flipping a switch and went on the charm offensive after yep. screaming and yelling and yep. for an hour yep. M- yep. manipulating yep. you. Yeah. As soon as I broke, he knew right. he had me. That's what he was trying to do. Yeah. And he did break me. He totally broke me during mm-hmm. that phone call. And I wrote into Recovering Grace because the way the website is set up is an admin has to remove comments. So I wrote into Recovering Grace. I said, please remove my comments. It was a mistake. They responded back and said, hey, we would love to talk to you over the phone for a little bit. Very yeah, wise of something's them. Something's happened here. Right? And they, and they, well, they knew. They knew because they had yeah. all worked with I'm Bill I'm sure it had happened past. before. Yeah. yeah. And they just, they talked to us over the phone for a while and they just explained to, they're like, you know, I really think you're being manipulated and we don't want Bill thinking that he can threaten and intimidate women into silence. So they begged us to keep our comments on and we did for a short time, um, but I was getting phone calls from Bill every single day, sometimes two, three times a day. He would leave messages He just continued to berate me over the phone over and over. And so after three weeks, I finally got sick of it. And I went back to Recovering Grace. I'm like, I I can't. I think it's wrong for me to remove my comments because they were completely truthful. But I cannot take the phone harassment anymore. And I said, please delete my comments. Never contact me again. And I'm going to try to pretend that Bill Gothard never existed. Mm -hmm. And of course... It didn't work. <laughs> I buried it as much as I could, but you just can't bury trauma like that. No, you know? that is huge. Yeah, yeah. Massive exactly. trauma. Yeah, mm. and I did my best, but um, I was pretty haunted with memories for a while. And finally in 2015, I went back to the Recovering Grace website and I saw that a lawsuit had been filed just a few days prior. Mm. In the meantime, over, la- over, over like that time between the lawsuit being filed and that first story coming out, I believe Recovering Grace has stats that says 64 women came forward with stories of varying degrees of either sexual harassment or abuse or molestation or rape Mm -hmm. or whatnot. And so, yeah, I contacted the attorney for the lawsuit, told him my story, and I I ended up joining. And uh, we had had 19 plaintiffs, and we fought for five years. The lawsuit, we, due to some legal complexities, we had to withdraw it early before we could go to trial. Um, But a month after we voluntarily withdrew our lawsuit, Bill came back after seven out of 19 of the plaintiffs. He came back at at seven and I was one of the uh, (laughs) chosen seven. And he filed uh, a motion for, he wanted the the judge to make us uh, pay Bill like $250,000 for putting him through emotional distress mm-hmm. and for filing a yeah like a wrongful lawsuit. suit yeah frivolous yeah, lawsuit frivolous lawsuit he wasn't <laughs> suing us but yeah he came back and yeah um we had to fight that for another couple of years and finally we had a hearing in chicago where all the women testified and the judge said you know i do not believe this lawsuit was frivolous someone is allowed to file a legitimate lawsuit yeah, and there's draw merit it to their it. own means yeah exactly absolutely like i think the women's stories are credible i don't think this was frivolous and he cited on the he cited with the women and he said that we didn't owe him any money so that was a huge was, agreement it was yeah. it was a huge victory for sure, but still bittersweet because you know ultimately we we never received the justice we were seeking for. That's the thing I was gonna say because right now, in a sense, he got away with it. Okay, he got booted out finally. Then it took years to to have the board of IBLP remove him as the leader, and he's kind of still around. And he's got his own website. I've seen it. He it's is bizarre. Yes. It's he's trying to yeah. grab their following. A year before the lawsuit, the board of IBLP made an arrangement with Bill and he ended up resigning. And so he hasn't been the president of IBLP for well since 2014, but he now has like his own ministry and he does still have assets that are within IBLP for sure. sure. He's actually currently suing the board of IBLP for some of those assets. Okay. As so you now do. he's suing his own organization. It's yeah. 
So he strange. It's like Jerry Falwell's junior turning around and suing Liberty University. I guess that got dismissed. But, you know, that's the thing. They've, they've sort of, quote, disavowed Gothard. I've read the IBLP website. But then, as I was saying before, his teachings were all over the site. Oh, they so, are. They are. They like to pretend minute. they distanced themselves, but they didn't because they still sell all of his books. Yeah, they, absolutely. Some booklets were written by Bill. All um, the content all is the Gothard teaching, stuff. All the, everything. All the content. Sure. Even like how we got started by Bill Gothard and, yeah. and all this stuff is all over the website and they still the use all his training. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, no, they're, they're, they're still the same old Exactly. Idea. Going back to the point about recovering grace. So I've read, I don't know how many women's accounts that are on that site. If people want to find out more about what the allegations specifically against Gothard were, which are more than allegations, what actually happened, go to the recovering grace website. Because what struck me about it was what you said. These women are telling their stories. Some are lo short, some are longer, but yet every single one of them has common points, woman to woman to woman. And most of them, probably all of them, didn't even know each other. And you Correct. go, okay, so wait a, a minute. Few, they cannot possibly be making this up. Right. A few knew each other. Um, but Recovering Grace actually came up with their own like post, and it has a graph. Like, it has a chart. Yeah. Showing all the similarities exactly. between all the stories. And, yes, a lot of women didn't know each other. And this, these allegations are spread out over decades. Yeah, I was going to say, so, some of these, yeah, you, this goes back years, decades. It does. There's a pattern of abuse that, that is almost, it's a textbook pattern of abuse from woman to woman to woman. He, he had a certain, demogra um, a certain style of woman that he liked, didn't he? There was a certain hair color, a certain you know, height and build and everything else. These kind of Gothard girl. It was almost like a running joke around the place, wasn't it? It was. Like, oh, we there's another Goth Gothard we were, girl. Yeah, we were called Gothard girls. There was a joke about Bill's harem. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. he was trying to put together this sort of group, or I don't know if it was a group of women, but it was like he would go from woman to woman, and there was always this pattern of grooming and lavishing attention, sort of what he was trying to do to you. You're fortunate in that, yeah, you didn't move to the actual center because you would have been another statistic, another abuse victim, sexual abuse, I would say. You were abused, obviously, but yeah, it's just the shocking pattern that just repeated itself over and over again. Right. Yeah. This is where you're at now. <laughs> you're speaking out because now you get into the, the Josh Duggar thing. How do they relate to all this Gothard stuff? Where, where's this 19 kids and counting? How do they fit into this whole sordid picture? Yeah, well, um, the Duggars um, are still a part of ATI. They were a part at this. Mm -hmm. They were a part of the organization at the same time my, my family was involved in. So they were at the same conferences that I was, and they they still promote it themselves. They still sure. promote ATI programs, so they're a hundred percent a part of it for sure. Yeah, I wrote uh, my after coming out of the lawsuit or through the process of the lawsuit. I, I started therapy and recovery and had a complete life change where I walked away from all of ATI's teachings. And I am, I am still a Christian, but I, I, I follow Jesus and not Bill Gothard. Right, so you <laughs> disavowed so, all of his right, toxic theology. Right, I did. Disavowed legalism, patriarchy, yeah. all of that. So toxic. Um, yeah, exactly. And uh, I started writing about my experiences and some of the things that I was learning about this toxic theology. And, and pretty soon it turned into a, a blog. And now I write on, I do have a blog, um, but I mostly write on my Facebook page, Thriving mm -hmm. Forward. And um, so it's, it's doing quite well. Uh, I actually, I absolutely love it because I found this new community of survivors that I, mm -hmm that I uh, engage with and, and I get messages from women that, you know, are, are needing help. They're needing resources. I can point them to, to places that can give them help for what they need and whatever their situation. But anyway, a few days ago, um, the Josh Ducker story came out and I was not surprised. I had been expecting this, but as soon as the news broke, I wrote up a, pretty strong rant. I did not mince words. Yes, and I read it. <laughs> I had, right. I had been seeing comments from other people on social media under news stories that were saying like, why has Anna stayed with him? And especially mm -hmm. when everything came out in 2015, 
um, about how he had been having an affair, you know, on Anna, where he had been, he had had accounts with Ashley Madison and all of that, and, and how he had been, he had molested his younger sisters back when he was a teenager, and, and all of this came out, and, and people are like, she could have left them. Why didn't she leave in 2015? Why did mm-hmm. she continue to have babies with him? And I laid out eight different points to help people try to understand and have some compassion for her and understand like what this woman has been taught. She thinks she's doing the absolute best for her children. She thinks that she's honoring God by continuing to stick through her husband and all this because ATI, for instance, they do not teach or they teach that there is no allowance for divorce whatsoever. Mm It doesn't matter if there has been infidelity. It doesn't matter if your spouse has committed a crime and they are now serving time in prison. Like there is no allowance. No way out. For divorce. Yeah. So she thinks if she, you know, continues to stay married to him, she thinks she's, she's honoring God in yeah. that she's way. She's doing the right um, thing. Yeah. Um, Also, um, of course, homeschooling is a big thing. So we were taught that public school, even private Christian schools were completely off limits. And so if she were to get a divorce and, you know, she'd have to put her, she'd have to stop homeschooling her kids. She'd have to put her kids maybe in public school while Mm. she went and worked. And that is absolutely terrifying to an ATI woman because she thinks putting, or she's been told to believe, I'm not going to speculate what's going on in her mind, but she's been taught to believe through ATI that putting her children in public school is going to ruin them and they're going to turn against God. Um, She's also told that she will be dishonoring God if she earns an income. Women weren't allowed to earn income in ATI. It was considered disrespectful and not submissive to your husband. Mm. The husband was supposed to be the only one making an income. And so she'd have to, you know, reckon with the idea of getting a job and providing an income for her kids. And so it's, it's this domino effect. It's not just that she has got to leave a marriage, but she has to reckon with all of these beliefs that she has mm-hmm. held for her entire life and decide like, am I going to hang on to this or is it okay to go against these beliefs? And so, I mean, my heart just goes out to this woman because I, I, I wrestled with just a small amount of what she had to wrestle with when I was coming out of ATI and I was wrestling with my belief system. I, I, I didn't have it near as bad as, you know, the situation she's in sure. right now because I wasn't facing divorce or being a single mother, but still the idea of walking away from a belief system you have been raised in your entire life is utterly terrifying and takes years to deconstruct sometimes. Sure. Yeah, it's and, too emotionally you know, threatening and everything else. It is. And the thing is, she <clears> likely <throat> wouldn't have much support if she chose to leave because ETI is, is a bubble. They're their own culture. And so mm-hmm. if she were to leave, she wouldn't just be leaving a marriage. She wouldn't just be leaving, you know, a church. I mean, they don't go they don't go to traditional churches. They have home church with other ATI families. So she mm-hmm. would be walking away from her entire community and support system. So it's, it's huge and we should have nothing but compassion and, mm. and understanding and empathy for this, this dear sweet woman who's in mm. this situation. She did. As you that. say, yeah, she's trapped. We've used the word cult a few times. One of the things maybe we could conclude by looking at it just for a few minutes, the sort of cult psychology, because I've been sitting here thinking as you're describing your own experiences, certainly the abuse with Bill Gothard, the theology, the toxic teachings within the system. In, in so many ways, it hits all the classic sort of markers of cults. One mm-hmm. that comes to mind is Stephen Hassan's bite model, which I've used many times. I'm sure you're familiar with it. You have behavior control, information control, thought control, mm-hmm. and emotional control. So looking at the Gothard system, does it fit that bite model of cults uh, as you would see it now? It does. Absolutely. I, I, I think it is because you have one singular leader within the organization mm-hmm. that is making up all the rules and has divine revelations from God. You have this set apart culture where in ATI, you believe that you are the only like real followers of Christ, that mm-hmm. all other Christians are carnal Christians and right. they're not you're a really true following believer. God. A true believer, yeah. You're 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 the only ones that are actually really honoring God in your lifestyle. So there's that 
exclusivity um, and, and inclusivity of just, you know, it's, 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 it's only those within the system that you have relationship with. Um, there's shunning that is practiced for those that decide to walk away from the belief system. So families will shun their or children, if their children decide to live a different life. And I mean, this could be just like, they decide, you know, to put their kids in regular school. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, public so, school. <laughs> right, Watch right, out. exactly, exactly. You could get shunned for something like that. There was a large money component too. Um, you had to pay to be an mm. ATI. There was a fee and it was very expensive. Wisdom booklets were very expensive. There was a lot of material and books that you had to purchase to be a part. And the thing was like prior to ATI, when he was just doing his seminars, he had this basic seminar, advanced seminar, anger resolution seminar. Mm -hmm. Um, All these levels. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You were not allowed, like you were told, do not share these materials with anybody. Uh, If they want to learn more, they have to come to a, a a seminar and learn it. Mm-hmm. And pay money yeah. for the privilege. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if that doesn't scream cold, I don't know what does. <laughs> exactly. Well, and going back to your point about Bill Gothard himself, the man, I was going to say, he was a very charismatic person. He really truly was. I can remember even as a 13-year-old sitting for a week-long conference every night for hours, just listening to him basically hold an audience spellbound for two, three, four hours. And then an all day Saturday on the final day. And he was an artist. He did those chalk talks at the end. I mean, and he could, he was funny. He was engaging. You know, he had all these stories that were funny and amazing biblical stories and everything else. So he had that charismatic quality. And I think another aspect too, he would say, well, look, I drive a beat up old car. I don't, I don't make much money, but yeah. There's, right. There's, it didn't look like like the big TV exactly. prosperity gospel. Exactly. I'm not a multimillionaire. But right. yet Although you read, he did have a jet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so you read the stories on the Recovering Grace. <laughs> he used this incredible sprawling empire that he built kind of as his own personal, you know, he had the jet and his brother was part of this abuse system as well. They had centers in Michigan and Texas and Illinois right. and they right. could go anywhere and they flew all over the place and they would take people for free trips. Right. So they yeah. used the system. They used the money that they people did. Were. And it's like, he himself had a very meager salary. Yeah. Um, I cannot remember what it was. It was only it wasn't like much. Few, it was like a few hundred every and month. And he would brag about that. Yes. I'm and not, brag about look, that. And then how also he used, right. And then yeah, how he I'm also so used to like give away all his, exactly. meager, meager. but the thing was like, everything was considered a ministry expense. So he had, right. he only ever wore suits. He only every single day, even if it was like a casual activity, he wore suits every single day. Wasn't and it so, a blue suit? He had a very, yeah, varying degree black yeah, suit. Trademark I, suits. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My husband wasn't allowed to wear a suit for a wedding because like, it's too triggering. <laughs> too <for> triggering. <laughs> it looked too much like Bill Gothard. That wouldn't but anyway, work. <laughs> but anyway, like, you know, the dry cleaning bill for all those suits, mm. ministry uh, exactly. expense. You know, his food bill, ministry expense. Yep. You know, all of this stuff. His car. He had this this old car from, I don't know, 50s or 60s, but those things are outrageously outrageously expensive to keep up. So that was another ministry expense. So he could live off an extremely meager salary because all of his basic living uh, expenses were considered ministry expenses. And he had all these perks, didn't he? That's the thing that were somehow all covered by the ministry. So Mm -hmm. yes, he was, he could say that, that I don't make hardly any money. I plow everything back into the ministry. Right. He went to his parents' old home. Yeah. So he didn't have a fancy mansion, but then also like, he would only sleep from about 1 a.m. until 3 or 4 a.m. every morning. He was up for an average of 20 hours a day. So as soon as he got up from his home, he'd leave and he'd spend the rest of his time at the ministry. So it's like he wouldn't even need a nice home because he never, he just slept there. And sometimes he just slept in his office too. But you know, so yeah. Just totally dedicated. Well, and there's another thing. It's crazy because like, for instance, he just to show more level of deception, he he touted himself as having all this moral purity Mm -hmm. and uh, how he'd never taught, he'd never, he made a vow to never kiss a girl unless he was married to her and all this stuff. And, and, and for those purity culture. yeah, Yeah. And what's, what's really ironic about this whole situation is this guy built an entire empire out of teaching on marriage and children. And yet the guy never married and never had children. Exactly. I was going to (laughs) say, he's always been single. 
and he's right, yeah, families yeah. and parents how to raise their kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not but even married, he would, let alone have he kids. Do, he would do things like say how, you know, just to show how morally upstanding I am, I don't have female secretaries. My sister is my secretary. Mm. Well, yeah, kind of that was true. His sister had an office right outside his, and she answered the phones. But all his gother girls, all the teenagers running exactly. around headquarters, those weren't the ones doing all the secretarial work. So yeah. it's stuff like that, where on the outside, it's like, oh, he's so humble. He doesn't have very much money. He has his mm. sister be a secretary. So there's no like, yeah. you know, moral question there. It was all a facade. It was all a lie. When you really look at the, you know, uncover the truth. I mean, it's, it's just amazing mm. how much deception there was. Exactly. It was a cult and still is. And that's the thing. So I know we've been talking about all this stuff for a long time. There's a lot more we could talk about, I'm sure. But I know you've got to go. How can people find you? Where's the best place? You talked about your Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how, is that the best place to go to find more that's, information that's on this thing? That's the best place. Yeah. Um, just Thriving Forward is my f- Facebook page. Um, but then also, if you're not on Facebook or if you want to connect to me with me on my blog, it's Thriving Forward blog. Dot com, and mm. you can reach out to me there through, um, you know, the contact page or whatnot, or you can also send me a message through Facebook, but mm-hmm. either way, if you've got specific questions, I'm happy to answer that. Or I have this wonderful message from a woman who read my post, my post on Josh Duggar went absolutely nuts. It went viral yeah, on I me. And that. yeah, my following tripled over two wow. nights. So I had been slammed with messages, but I had this one sweet woman message me this morning and she's like, I am heartbroken for these women. What can I do to help? That was it. That was her entire message. And like that spoke volumes to me of like, wow, yeah, you actually huge. care. You want to help. So if you want to learn how to help, feel free to reach out to me and I can give some ideas, some res- some places you can go that you can volunteer or help you know, resources you can get plugged into. But yeah, I mean, if, if you, if you care about what women, you know, like Anna Duggar are going through right now and and you want to make a difference, then feel free to, you know, we'll have a conversation on that. We can talk about some ways that you can help out. Well, that is fantastic. I love what you're doing. I hope you keep doing it. Thank you so much for talking to me. I've absolutely enjoyed meeting you finally and talking about all things Gothard. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, we have to do this again sometime.